Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, November 8th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Nunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill is off today. She had a late night doing some reporting on the local elections here in New York for another media outlet. But she will be back tomorrow. So you just have me today. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone voted yesterday and did their civic duty wherever you are. And we'll try to dive into some of the results that have national implications in today's podcast. With that, let's get started with the headlines. It was election night in America, some major headlines out of Ohio, Kentucky, and Virginia that we'll tell you about, among some other places, and why some Democrats are celebrating this morning. We'll go to the latest in the Middle East as Israel claims it has the head of Hamas in Gaza surrounded in a bunker. We'll tell you about the latest from the region. Also, on the West Coast, the latest on that tragedy outside L.A. where a Jewish man died after an altercation with a pro-Palestinian march, what authorities out there are saying. The Supreme Court on Tuesday heard a major gun case. I'll tell you about that. In most parts of the country, November has felt like the summer. We'll tell you about these unseasonably warm temperatures. Tonight is debate night in America. Again, take three. Who do you expect at the latest third Republican debate tonight? What is happening out there in the ocean as orcas have been taking out a few boats lately? And of course, I will bring you on this day in history, a little politics, a little movie history, and uh, a big day in Eminem history. I'm talking about the rapper, not the candy. All right, but let's get started here with the election results as a number of states held key votes in the 2023 off-year elections. They don't get as much love, but there are certainly some implications and uh, some major results we want to tell you about. Uh, And it does have some Democrats happy this morning and hoping that this might be an indication of what they might see next year. Though, again, we should add several ounces of caution here. It's very hard to extrapolate these results, but still interesting to discuss here. We're going to start in Ohio. That's where voters approved a constitutional amendment on Tuesday that ensures access to abortion and other forms of reproductive health care. It is the latest victory for abortion rights since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. So Ohio now has become the seventh state where voters have decided to protect abortion access after that landmark ruling. And keep in mind, Ohio otherwise getting more and more red, but interesting to see these results uh, when it comes to abortion. Keep in mind that we've seen this in a few other states, some red states like Kansas, Kentucky, Montana are also states where voters have affirmed abortion access or turned back attempts to undermine it. Uh, I said seven states. So we're talking Ohio, Kansas, Kentucky, Montana, also California, Michigan and Vermont are the other states where they have affirmed abortion access. Now, the outcome in Ohio, Democrats hope is a bellwether for next year, where the party hopes that the abortion issue will energize their voters and help keep President Biden in the White House. Uh, Despite some other issues, they're hoping the abortion issue will be important enough to voters. Uh, Keep in mind, next year, Arizona and Missouri are among the states where they will be voting on abortion protections. As of right now, public polling shows that about two-thirds of Americans say abortion should generally be legal in the earliest stages of pregnancy, and you've seen that sentiment now in a number of states, Ohio being the latest. One other Ohio measure that was voted on on Tuesday, marijuana. And Ohio has now become the latest state to legalize recreational marijuana. That makes Ohio the 24th state. We're basically 50-50 at this point. Uh, Ohio now the 24th state to allow adult cannabis use for non-medicinal purposes. The new law allows adults 21 and over to buy and possess up to two and a half ounces of cannabis and to grow plants at home. 
All right, just across the border in Kentucky, another big win for Democrats. That's where Governor Andy Bashir, a popular Democrat, won re-election in a very deep red state. Bashir, among other things, did run on abortion rights and on his leadership uh, of the state's economy. His Republican opponent lost his race despite endorsement by former President Trump, who is very popular in Kentucky. Notably, if you're familiar with the name, it is a two-term trend now for the Bashir family. Andy Bashir now uh, going to have a second term in Kentucky. His father, Steve Bashir, was also elected twice as a Democratic governor of Kentucky. So his dad was governor from 07 to 15. Now Andy Bashir uh, will be finishing out his term in just four years, which means over 20 years of Kentucky, a Bashir, father or son, has uh, presided over the governor's office for 16 of those 20 years. Bashir is a name you will likely be hearing about uh, more nationally as more Democrats look to the White House. Well, if Biden runs again uh, four years from now, Bashir is a name, uh, especially since he's a Democrat who's been able to win in a red state. All right, a couple other quick notes here before we leave the election section. Virginia also voted for their state legislature yesterday, and there, Democrats preserved their majority in the state Senate. Uh, the win means that Democrats will be able to continue to stop the Republican Governor Yunkin and the Republican House from getting a trifecta on power and passing an abortion ban and other measures. So Democrats hold the state Senate in Virginia. And one other name you will likely be hearing about in the coming weeks and months Gabe Amo. He is the new congressman from Rhode Island, from the first district of Rhode Island. The Democrat becomes the first person of color to represent Rhode Island. He defeated a Republican pretty handily. Uh, Amo, by the way, is the son of West African immigrants from Ghana and Liberia. He formerly served as a White House aide in the Obama and Biden administrations. Uh, This was an open seat that was previously held by a Democrat, so no major change of power there. Republicans will continue to hold the U.S. House by a very slim margin. Meanwhile, let's head abroad now to the Middle East. That's where the Israeli army said on Tuesday that its troops have entered the heart of Gaza City and trapped Hamas's senior most leader there in an underground bunker. We discussed him a bit in yesterday's pod. His name is Yahya Sinwar. He's the 61-year-old head of Gaza Hamas. He's been called a dead man walking by the Israelis, the most wanted man in Israel. He's the guy who orchestrated the October 7th massacre that killed more than 1,400 Israelis, mainly civilians. The Israeli officials now say that they have Sinwar, they believe, isolated inside a bunker under Gaza. They say they're determined to destroy it, along with any other infrastructure operated by terrorists. The defense minister of Israel said, Tuesday, they're maneuvering on foot, armored vehicles, tanks, uh, engineers, and they have one target, Hamas. The claim right now by the Israelis is that they have killed thousands of terrorists above and beneath the ground. Keep in mind, beneath the ground, we're talking about 300 miles of underground tunnels uh, built with concrete, electricity, drainage. Uh, and so the Israelis are just at the point now of really beginning to enter those tunnels. Uh, those tunnels, by the way, also said to run underneath Gaza's largest medical center, that is the Al-Shifa Hospital. The Israelis have been asking uh, that hospital to evacuate because Hamas is believed to have a number of underground hubs there. This has been reported on by the media going back 10 years. Hamas does its uh, interviews going back uh, from an area inside the hospital courtyard. And so this has been a huge challenge because there's also uh, numerous wounded, numerous people seeking refuge inside the hospital. And the Israelis are just a few blocks away um, after weeks of asking for that hospital to be evacuated. 
It comes as the former CIA director here in the U.S. and famed general David Petraeus said in an interview yesterday that Israel has the momentum here against Hamas and needs to take advantage of that, cannot do a ceasefire while they have the momentum against the terror group. Keep in mind, Petraeus, you might remember his name. He was the general put in charge uh, who was able to defeat the insurgency in Iraq, uh, had huge success there. Of course, what would come out of that is ISIS, but he has uh, been doing a number of interviews here. And so we've been watching what he's had to say because he had to deal with a lot of urban warfare similar to what the Israelis are facing in Gaza. It does come, though, as calls are coming from across the Arab world, including a couple dozen members of Congress here in the U.S. for a ceasefire. For their part, the White House right now sticking by Israel while urging humanitarian pauses for a few hours to get aid in there. The White House right now not supporting a ceasefire. It comes as the Israelis opened up a corridor on Tuesday, uh, the latest time they've let people from the north evacuate to the south. Right now, the estimate is about 80% of Palestinians in northern Gaza have evacuated to the south, but about 200,000 remain, some unable, some looking to fight the Israelis, and some just not willing to move south at this moment. The Israelis trying to reassure Palestinians that they will be allowed back north when the war in that area comes to completion. But the humanitarian toll continues uh, to rise in Gaza. The airstrikes and the war have now killed more than 10,000 Palestinians, including many women and children. Those numbers, by the way, come to us from Hamas, have not been independently verified. President Biden, the Israelis, uh, have said add a grain of salt to those numbers. That said, we've been watching the pictures and video coming from Gaza, uh, and just the civilian toll has been immense, even if we don't know the specific numbers there. I posted an interview over on the Instagram feed yesterday of an American nurse who had been working in one of the hospitals in Gaza, was able to get out. Uh, She did an interview with Anderson Cooper. We linked to it on our Instagram account, and she just talks about the traumatic scale of the crisis there, the heroism of the first responders in Gaza as they just deal with thousands and thousands of injured and dying. As far as what happens next in Gaza, the Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu did an interview with ABC in the past 24 hours saying that Israel does plan to have security responsibility of Gaza for what he says is an indefinite period of time after the war that has led to concerns in the region and from the West about a potential Israeli occupation of Gaza. The Israelis, though, saying adamantly, we got out in 05. We have no interest in taking a long-term occupation in Gaza. We don't want to administer civilians, but we do need to ensure that a non-terrorist government takes over in Gaza after this and one that does not threaten Israel with further attacks similar to October 7th. So that's something we're going to keep watching as, uh, among others, the White House keeps asking the Israelis, what is the plan for after the war? All right, we have a lot more news to get to. But first, a word from a couple of our sponsors. First, Bull and Branch Sheets. The holidays are here, believe it or not. Everyone's in gifting mode. But most people are forgetting one very special thing. Treating yourself this season. Now, you could give Bull and Branch Sheets as a gift to somebody else. Or you could give it to yourself. Giving yourself a better night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets, care of Bowl and Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch. We first got them a year ago. Uh, They're big in our household. They are made differently. Rare, 100% organic cotton, free of toxins, synthetic pesticides, harsh chemicals. They're good for everyone, especially if you have sensitive skin. And best of all, right now. They are also providing a signature gift box. If you order their signature sheets, they come wrapped in a beautiful holiday gift box. It'll make the holiday season even more special. Hell, you give yourself that gift, give yourself a gift box, it'll feel all the more special. So what's the deal here? Well, 
25% off right now your first order of Bowl and Branch. It's the best offer of the entire year. You can head over to bowlandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L-A-N-D. Branch.com. Promo code MONews. What else? Bowlandbranch.com. Promo code MONews. Exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Before we get back to the news, we have one more partner to talk about today. If you're a longtime listener, you know that... Uh, I've been drinking AG1 for about a year now. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel a real difference in my energy level. And especially now that I'm a new dad, I can use all that I can get. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs, gut health, stress management, immune support. Um, AG1 is a simple scoop of powder in the morning with a glass of water. It's simple, it's easy, and it helps you get all your nutrients I've been hearing from some of you who are like, you got me. Finally, I'm going to try AG1. I got a couple messages recently about that. And that applies to some friends and family as well who are trying it. So once you take AG1 in the morning, you feel like you're covered for the day. And so if you really want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. You can try AG1 right now with a special Mo News discount and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. Go over to drinkag1.com slash Mo News. That is drink a g the number one dot com slash mo news right now for the special deal and to take ownership of your health all right now time for the speed read we're gonna start with this from the la times the investigation continues in southern california after the death this weekend of a 69 year old jewish man who died in an altercation with a pro-palestinian demonstrator in thousand oaks california His name was Paul Kessler. He died in an area hospital on Monday, one day after suffering a head injury during a confrontation with pro-Palestinian protesters at an intersection in Thousand Oaks, which is about 40 miles west of L.A. Authorities said on Tuesday they have questioned and searched the home of the suspect who was involved in that altercation, but have not released that person's identity or made any arrests so far related to the incident. They say that the suspect has been cooperative so far. But what exactly transpired prior to Kessler falling backwards isn't crystal clear in the words of the sheriff. Now, officials say Kessler died due to head injuries consistent with a fall, but it remains to be seen if charges will be filed against the person who struck him. Kessler was conscious after the incident as well as during his transportation to the hospital, but then succumbed to his injuries, uh, they believe a brain bleed, one day later. As far as the investigation here, the sheriff's office in Ventura County there say they're receiving conflicting information from the two sides involved in the altercation. They're trying to sort out what happened and whether a crime had been committed. They say they are investigating this as a homicide and a possible hate crime at this point, but they're still trying to sort things out. They are asking for uh, any video or photos that people might have from that location. All right, from Reuters now, the U.S. Supreme Court heard a huge gun case on Tuesday and as of now appears likely to uphold a federal law that bans gun possession for anyone subject to a domestic violence court order. That's based on the arguments we saw on Tuesday that appears to be the way they're leaning right now, that they would uphold that law. It does come, though, as the 6-3 conservative majority has been loosening up on gun rights and the Second Amendment in recent years, which is why we're watching this case so closely. Now, this Supreme Court case involves a Texas man who was charged with illegal gun possession while subject to a domestic violence restraining order after assaulting his girlfriend. Current federal law makes it a crime for people under domestic violence restraining orders to have guns. Now, challenging the law is this guy, Zaki Rahimi. 
A Texas judge stripped him of his gun license when it granted a domestic violence court order after that incident with his girlfriend in a parking lot. He then apparently fired a gun at a bystander who saw the assault of his girlfriend. After he continued firing guns in public, even after the court order, police searched his residence, found guns, magazines, and ammunition. Rahimi was then sentenced to six years in prison for violating federal law that bans domestic abusers from possessing guns. So it appears this guy had a, a long record here and continued to use guns despite the court order. But he has been pressing a challenge here uh, to the federal law. And he took it all the way to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which citing last year's Supreme Court decision, declared the law unconstitutional, saying basically our viewpoint is the Second Amendment allows him, despite being a domestic abuser, to still have a right to a gun. Now, the justices on the Supreme Court need to decide if this law is constitutional. And that's in light of last year's decision, which I just mentioned. So last year, the Supreme Court ruled a decision called Bruin that any legislation which limits your ability to own a firearm needs to be considered in light of what they say is America's, quote, historical tradition of firearm regulation. Essentially, the conservative justices arguing, is this what the founders intended? Did the founders intend for there to be any limits on the ownership of guns based on our interpretation of the Second Amendment. So essentially, we've gotten to the point with the Second Amendment as to whether there should be any limits on guns. Now, liberals counter-argue, the conservatives here are saying, there were a lot of things that the founders uh, passed laws on and many things they didn't pass laws on and things they didn't anticipate. Basically, you're neg- you could be negating thousands of laws if you're constantly trying to think about the founders and what they intended back in the 1780s. So the Supreme Court heard this case as to whether there should be any limits, especially for domestic abusers in owning guns. The Biden administration argued yesterday in court that the Second Amendment is not unlimited and it does not prohibit Congress from disarming individuals subject to domestic violence protective orders. They argued there is no historical evidence that the Second Amendment was originally understood to prevent legislatures from disarming dangerous individuals. Now, the lawyers for Rahimi and some conservatives disagree. You could tell based on his questioning that Clarence Thomas uh, was not buying this argument that he believes that there should be very little in the way of limits. But other conservatives yesterday indicated that they might be willing to have some limits here on the Second Amendment. The focus here will be figuring out how to label someone as dangerous as opposed to merely irresponsible. The standard for dangerous and how you deem that a dangerous person can be disarmed and loses their right to uh, firearms under the Second Amendment. Now, this will be one of the easier cases, uh, the judges say. Harder ones lie ahead. There are other federal and state laws that bar convicted felons, even those convicted of nonviolent crimes from having guns. You can imagine you'll be hearing from that in the future. Another uh, reason this case is important, according to the CDC, 12 million American adults are victims of domestic abuse every year, and 70 of those die every month from being shot by an intimate partner. So there are a lot of people closely watching this case, uh, and literally life and death here hangs for some of them, they believe, based on how the court rules. All right, now to this from the AP. I don't know how many of you will be tuning in tonight. I will be. Tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, the latest Republican presidential debate. It'll be the third of the primary season. Five hopefuls will be participating. NBC is hosting it on their various platforms. It starts at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. The five on stage, Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Those are the five who have qualified uh, the threshold for this debate, 4% in the polls and 70,000 donors. 
That means that the North Dakota governor, Doug Burgum, ineligible for this debate, as is former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. I imagine both of those men will probably be dropping out in the coming weeks, though Burgum is very rich and can fund himself uh, for a while here. Uh, one person not on stage tonight, again, Donald Trump, the front runner of the Republican race, ignoring the rest of the field, saying, you know, basically dominating them. Why am I going to participate in debates? So he'll be having his own event tonight. The second debate did get less viewership than the first debate. We'll see what the attention is like on it tonight. One thing to be on the lookout for, foreign policy talk with the situation in Israel, as well as the debate within the Republican Party over whether to help Ukraine going forward. You can imagine you'll also hear questions on the economy, uh, potential government shutdown coming in the next two weeks, the Speaker of the House chaos that Republicans dealt with uh, recently and how the party is going to deal with that. One thing I'll be looking out for, whether any of them will be willing to make a real argument against Trump, who leads still with 50 to 60 percent of primary voters right now. The rest of them, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis hanging out at 16, 18 percent. The rest of them less. Voting starts in primary states and caucus states in the next eight to 10 weeks. Right now, Trump running away with the primary. Uh, Many of the Republicans have been fighting each other. Will the focus be on him tonight? And will there be an argument made? that uh, it's time for someone different. And you've heard a bit of it from Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, Nikki getting the most amount of traction so far. We'll see what happens tonight. We'll have an update for you tomorrow. All right, let's change gears here. The next story from NPR. A pod of orcas have sunk a yacht in the Strait of Gibraltar. For 45 minutes, the crew of the Grazi Mama felt like they were under attack from below because they were. A pod of orcas had zeroed in on the yacht's rudder as it made its way through the Strait of Gibraltar last week. That is the area between uh, Spain and Morocco. Uh, The orcas rammed it repeatedly, causing major damage and leakage. Rescuers were able to save the crew, return them safely to port on the coast of Morocco. Their vessel, though, sank into the sea. So last week's incident is just the latest in a string of attacks by orcas in the waters separating Europe and northern Africa. It's encounters that have left researchers scratching their heads. Orcas, by the way, you might know them by their uh, older name, killer whales. They were known as that for many, many years, uh, though we've been trying to call them orcas in recent decades. They are not a threat to humans. They just happen to have whales in their diet. Uh, They happen to be the, the biggest ones, hence the nickname. But here on the Mo News Podcast, we call them orcas since 2020. According to the journal Marine Mammal Science, there have been 500 encounters between orcas and boats. At least three boats have sunk, though there is no record of an orca killing a human in the wild. Scientists have been trying to pinpoint the cause of the behavior. One theory, they're just playing around. Scientists believe the orcas are just having fun with it. Uh, Other researchers believe that the whales like the feel of the rudder. When they encounter a sailboat without its engine on, they get kind of frustrated, and that's why they break the rudder. By the way, keep in mind, orcas here, they're officially the largest of the dolphin species. Fun fact, the orcas are the largest dolphins, but all dolphins are whales. So technically, they're also a whale. Notably, though, all whales are not dolphins. So all dolphins are whales. Not all whales are dolphins. Orcas are the largest dolphins, but they happen to also be whales. And there you have it. Finally here from the Washington Post, November is feeling more like September across much of the southern and eastern U.S., with temperatures running well above the average from the Rockies all the way to the eastern seaboard. Uh, We've been enjoying it here in New York. We had uh, temps in the 60s and 70s recently. Unseasonably warm weather looks to carry forward through Thanksgiving for a large part of the country. That's according to the latest data we're getting from a couple of research centers in Europe and Japan. Right now, October came in at about three degrees above the long-term average or 1.7 Celsius above, which means that Earth 
has all but secured the warmest year on record. It's a combination of an El Nino year plus climate change, according to scientists. Even though November started with a chill across the lower 48 and a sharp contrast to Asia, where it's been exceptionally warm, the script has flipped this week. A number of records are in jeopardy, with highs expected to peak in the mid-90s in parts of Texas and 80s in the Tennessee Valley. More records are expected today across the Midwest, the lower Appalachians, towards the I-95 corridor. Thereafter, a slight cooldown is expected into the weekend, but then another warm-up next week. So again, uh, Thanksgiving could be pretty warm for many of you. As far as the climate connection here, uh, here's a stat from the Washington Post, Matt Capucci, who uh, we uh, love his coverage over there on the Post. He ran the numbers. Uh, So far, there have been 178 all-time record highs in the U.S. this year, only eight record cold maximum readings. That's a ratio of 22 to 1 uh, record high temps to record low temps to give you an indication of uh, how climate change is impacting us this year. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We begin in 1895. A German physicist, Wilhelm Röntgen, discovered x-rays, which leads him to win the first Nobel Prize for Physics just a few years later for his discovery of x-rays. If you were following us on Instagram yesterday, uh, over on the Mo News Instagram page, we covered why heavy lead x-ray aprons used during dentist visits may actually no longer be necessary. That story should be up throughout most of the day over on the Mo News Insta account. All right, this is a big day in presidential history. A number of presidents elected on this day, JFK in 1960, Donald Trump in 2016. We drill down on the next election in today's Mo Newsletter. Uh, You can sign up for that over at mo.news. All right, a bit of college football history slash movie history on this day in 1975, 48 years ago. Daniel Rudy Rudiger made his only appearance in a Notre Dame football game, recording a sack against Georgia Tech. Rudy, Rudy, you might remember the film, very inspirational. The actual sack happened on this day in history. And many people might remember this game in 2005. On this day, the original Guitar Hero game was released in North America. There was a time you couldn't go over to a friend's place on a weekend night and not play a little Guitar Hero. All right, we end here with a bit of music history, turning 66 years old today. Jailhouse Rock, starring Elvis Presley, opened in theaters. On this day in 1971, Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin was released on the album Led Zeppelin 4. The eight-minute long song was actually never released as a single, but has been a mainstay on radio for many, many years. I would imagine there's very few of you who have not heard at least part of it. It is a long song. And finally... Eight Mile, starring Eminem, premiered in theaters on this day, 21 years ago, November 8th, 2002, a classic with an awesome soundtrack. And, uh, you know, you're always uh, rooting for B-Rabbit, unless, of course, you're a Papa Doc fan. But people who know the film will know. All right. I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. It'll help us grow. Please follow and subscribe to the show in your app right now. Uh, also, if you like what we're doing here at Mo News, whether it's the podcast, the newsletter, the Instagram account, you can join Mo News Premium uh, right now. We have a special deal, $7 a month or $70 a year, two free months on the annual package. You can head over to mo.news slash premium to sign up. It'll give you access to an extra podcast, an extra Instagram account where we answer your questions and just the feeling that you're supporting independent journalism. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be back tomorrow with Jill. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.